This is an Ion Annapolis bonus podcast. Well, joining us on the phone today is Anne Arundel County Executive Stuart Pittman calling from his bunker on, uh, you know, somewhere, but uh, had a rough couple days, haven't you, County Executive? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could say it's been a rough nine months, uh, but the last couple of days have been um, have been sort of like a roller coaster. Uh, well, really, no, nothing good in the last couple of days, other than the swearing in of our new police chief this morning. That was that was the real high point. You know, I, I did want to talk a little bit about policing a little bit later, but I will say that uh, as soon as you made that announcement, there were several other former high-ranking police people in the Anne Arundel County Department that. Uh, texted me, emailed me, direct messaged me and said, this is a great choice. Good. Um, so, and, and these are coming from both uh, the Republican side and the Democratic appointees and everything else. So I had a, that's a pretty good universal choice. So, um, but anyhow, we didn't want to really talk too much on the COVID and on the restaurant thing and everything else, because that's going to change probably by the time we hang up this phone call. You're approaching two years now in office. You were elected two years ago. You were actually, you were elected a little bit more than two years ago, sworn in about two years ago just wanted to sort of check in and see how we were halfway through the first term that you're um, running. And you have covered an awful lot of ground in the two years. You know, what, what do you think personally is your top accomplishment? What are you most proud of? You know, I, the stuff that I'm most proud of isn't, isn't policy. It's not legislation. It's, um, it, you know, it sounds a little bit corny, but it's it's kind of the team that we've built and its ability to move quickly, cut through the red tape of government, engage residents, um, produce data to make decisions by. I mean, I, I feel like um, like county government is working um, better than well, certainly better than it has in my two years. It's gotten better and better, but maybe better than it ever has. And I have to credit covid for that to some degree because crisis um, creates um, extraordinary output by people. So I think we're, we're delivering. Well, it, it does create a lot of opportunity as well. I mean, certainly you would not be able to, uh, you know, fast track everything that you've done without it. And that, you know, that goes on the federal, the state and the local level as well. But um, back in 72, the Dolphins were undefeated. And obviously uh, you've probably had some defeats. What's the toughest uh, defeat that you've had since you've taken office? I mean, you've had a couple. Uh, one just you know it seems yeah yeah although you know when a judge makes a decision that that to me that's not um that that was just a surprise out of left field that that um and it just changes and you know it changes the the the, changes the path that you're on so you you figure out a new path but um i would say you know this sounds weird to say because most people saw it as victory but you know when we did forest conservation I I was pretty frustrated about the amendments to the bill, and and um, you know I felt like we didn't have the coalition I thought we had to be able to get the strong bill through, and the bill that we got through was was strong. Um, you know, a number of counties did did stuff that was stronger after us, and it did it did sort of it it was a, it was good, but the grandfathering clause in it was unnecessary. Um, so there were there were um, you know things that happened as a result that, that wouldn't have happened. Um, but uh, I would have liked to see that, that um, a much stronger forest conservation bill. And just the process of going through that was very difficult with the council. Right. And, 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 um, but uh, you know, you, you kind of lick your wounds and move on. And, and um, for the most part, our our relationship with the, the council has been 
has been good, obviously better with the Democrats than the Republicans. Um, but it, it was a it was a tough it was a tough one. I'll tell you, you um, I'm pretty sure that you guys you did not have any prior political experience. I mean, you ran in political circles. Your father was an undersecretary or a deputy secretary of defense, I think was it way back when, yeah. right? Um, yeah. So obviously you weren't a stranger to politics, but this is your first elected office, correct? Correct. What was your biggest surprise after they gave you the key to like the Arundel Center? <laughs> um, you know, one of the things that, that as an outsider coming in surprised me was that um, folks in government uh, work harder than I thought, um, especially the ones at, at the top that are that are in you know running departments. Um, that they, um, I, I've been um, really surprised that they're they're kind of twenty four seven always working or at least always available, always responding to emails, always responding to calls at all weird hours, and and um, and they're you know they're really creative, thoughtful, and 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 know their stuff. It's not as bad as an institution as many of us on the outside think. Right. Well, uh, I'll, I'll tell you, we just did a podcast with Chris Phipps from your director of public works, and you're absolutely right. I mean, he is always on. Yeah, he's a superstar. Yeah, yeah, and and he knows he's just an encyclopedia of knowledge too. Um, so so I I guess that was a, a surprise. I didn't I didn't know uh, what it was going to be like. I mean, come in to something new. And so I didn't have a lot of preconceived notions. So it's been um, it's been a learning curve, steep. Um, and I feel like you know I get better and better at it as I go, as I understand more things. But um, had good people, and uh, that really um, getting the right people around you is everything. So yeah, I, I mean, I think newness actually adds some something to their to to leadership as well. Personally, I think that you know two of the best questions are why and why and why not. You know why do we do things this way, and um, you know why don't we do it some other way? So it's um, you know that it's probably a, an asset that you came in with you know a fresh, naive set of eyes that came, yeah. that came yeah. in there, and I don't imagine yeah. it's easy being pulled in so many different directions. I mean, you know, you look at the council that's doing it, you look at the different department heads. I mean, certainly when you come down to budget time, and then us minions out here, uh, the uh, the folks that that are your constituents that you you know you're actually the 575,000 bosses that you have are all pulling you yeah. in 19 different ways. How do you, how do you deal with that? Was that, or was that tough to well, deal with or? Well, part, part of it is trusting staff and, and um, I've had trouble with that. I, I, you know, I kind of want to have my finger in every pie and, and, um, and I also like to write my own stuff. So, so um, that's <laughs> um, kind of takes extra time as well. Um, but, uh, it's, it's exciting that way too. Um, I've always been, I've always been kind of better on coming up with ideas and plans, um, than I have been following through on them. <laughs> so right. it's great where, where there's somebody to follow through on, on, on things. And, and I get to, I get to be creative all day long and talk to people and, and uh, hear their ideas, and and um, so it's it's constantly juggling. But as long as there are people to follow through on stuff, uh, who are reliable, then um, then it works. So right. um, I I get consulted a lot. I get to, but experience does help as well. Where where uh, you understand the issues better and better over time. You understand what the departments really do. You understand 
how the budget works. Um, and that, that takes time and all the players out there in the community, um, the allies, the opposition, everything, um, get, get better and better as you go. True. So, True. Yeah. Well, I, I want to talk a little bit about the police department and you guys, and I mentioned earlier that you have a stellar selection of, um, chief Amal Awad. Did I pronounce that right? Amal Awad? Awad. Awad. It's, it's, <laughs> I've had so much trouble with this too. Amal Awad. Okay. You need to stop this. You've got Colin Arman, which is taking me two years to figure out. <laughs> I know. It took me a while too. <laughs> Actually, the way, the way the chief said, said to remember it is, is imagine that she's punched you in the stomach and, and you go, Awad. Ow, ow. Okay. It's more ow, ow than ow. Okay, I'm, yeah. I'm glad that she has a, has a sense of humor on that. But, you know, yeah. Anne Arundel County in general has been very fortunate not to have been in the news like some of the other jurisdictions across the country. I mean, we generally have a respectful police department. I mean, we have issues and everything else periodically, and, and we all know those. And you are well on your way to getting body cameras. You're well on your way to getting uh, some sort of a review board in here. But what is your hopes for policing in Anne Arundel County? I mean, where do you think that we need to improve? You know, I think that it is, and this is not the only Department of Government that's like this. Um, I think we need to be more transparent. And um, they've done pretty well on, on engagement at some levels, community engagement. They've got their their, uh, you know, advisory boards and their PCRCs in, in every district, police community relations councils, and and they're out in the community. I mean, they really they've they've done that. Um, 21st century policing, that uh, you know, the Obama report that that this department really jumped in um, with both feet and implemented a lot of that community policing stuff. But uh, the when they do an investigation, and this is partly, you know, it's it's partly state law, but. But um, when they do an investigation, nobody um, can see what's going on because it's personnel records. And I understand that. But but uh, you hear about from other jurisdictions around the country when something happens, you, you know, the decisions get made quickly and how they're made. Um, the bureaucracy sort of protects more than it needs to, I think. I think if people knew the way an investigation of an officer's actions actually took place, they would have much more trust in the department. But we're not allowed to talk about it, so it's all done under a veil. Right. And so that that that's part. I think there will be some changes in LEOBR, the state the law enforcement officers bill of rights at the state level, that um, that a lot of chiefs have been asking for some of those changes, um, and and I think some of those changes will allow for some of the transparency. So that's a way that that that. Uh, we can build trust. I wasn't a fan of civilian review boards at first, and it's it's taken me a while to come around. You know, I worried that we would have a group of residents that were sort of breaking the chain of command. It's It's got to be a top-down organization in policing. The discipline has got to be there, just like in a military organization. Uh, but um, the the uh, so I don't want to stick a, a group of civilians in um, making decisions that normally your boss makes for you, you know, outsiders coming in and firing you who don't know your job. Um, but, uh, there's a lot to be gained from the, um, you know, having that portal through which residents can look in and see what's going on and communicate it and, and build trust. Right. Cause right. I think they do it. They do a better job than, than we think. Maybe not always, but, but, uh, I I've come to respect the department a lot. No, nobody, nobody is perfect. And and the cops are going to make mistakes just as, you know, the accountant is going to make a mistake and the lawyer is going to make a mistake and everything else. So, I mean, it, it, there's no difference there. And, and 
you know, I agree. We've got, I think we've got a very good, solid police department for the most part. And I think, you know, one thing that you mentioned was the lack of transparency. And, you know, you've done an awful lot to create more transparency. You've got open, open Arundel, open and Arundel, open Arundel, open Arundel, yeah. um, which is a publicly accessible portal that you can go on to aacounty.org and access to really look at the report card for most departments to find out how well they're performing. Is that, how has that been received? Um, it's, it's not being used um, as much as it will be. So what happened is, is, you know, we hired, uh, we hired somebody to do it. And then a, a second person came on as a statistician and, and they meet with the department heads and they ask them what metrics um, they should be judged by and start collecting the data. Um, so the next round of it is going to be that we're going to be using that as we do our budgeting and, and we're going to get more engaged in, in change. So those metrics will change. They'll, they'll evolve over time. And I'm hoping to integrate some of that into what we do with our budget town halls and that will familiarize people with, with what's up there. Uh, I think we just have to keep, um, keep using it, um, for, for things that interest people and they will start following it. But it's, it's an, it's an incredibly important tool and other jurisdictions have done this years ago, some better than others. And so we're a little bit in catch up mode and, and, um, and it does, um, it's a little uncomfortable though for department heads, as you can imagine, having your, your report card sent to your, your parents. Right. Well, I mean, it's it's funny. I mean, anecdotally, I find that people tend to be interested in transparency, mostly when the crap hits the fan. Uh, you know, if, if my life is going stellarly and I'm just, you know, wake up, go to bed, work, have fun, I'm, I'm fine. I don't really care too much about transparency. But as soon as, you know, I run into a problem, that's when I want want transparency. And, you know, I just wonder whether the public is using this tool as much as you had expected. Yeah, I think I think not yet, but the public is engaging. And I think this is another thing that COVID has done is that, you know, um, so many meetings are now um, done, done virtually. And the um, plan 2040, you know, the GDP, uh, we really engaged a lot of people in that when they created the plan 2040 at home website where people could actually go and look at maps and comment on specific land use designation changes and and um, so as we get better and better at using these tools, I think um, it's how gov- it's how engaging, you know, people will engage with their government that way rather than, which is great because even, even though you say, well, some folks might not have the computer, most folks really do have at least a smartphone and a lot more are participating than when you had to go to a meeting at the library at six o'clock or seven o'clock in the evening at the end of a hard day of work or if you work at night. So, so it's increasing participation. Um, and I think it's up to government to, to be smart about how to, how to, um, you know, improve the tools and make them accessible and make them, make them even fun and interesting to use. Well, plus you've also got the, uh, the archival that you didn't have before. I mean, if there was a budget meeting, uh, some of it may have been recorded or may not have, but now with everything being on zoom or, Microsoft yeah, Teams or whatnot. I mean, it, it's right there, and it's uh, so yeah. much, so much for that. Well, I never said that. Hey, uh, well, yeah. Look at thirty four twenty two. You did say that, but yeah. 
Um, well, I, I think let's let's slide into COVID a little bit. Right now, as we stand, um, unfortunately, Anne Arundel County is looking at 20,941 cases with 308 deaths. And that represents about three point, almost 3.7% of our population that has had COVID at some point. Um, and this insidious virus is damned if you do, damned if you don't, both for everybody that's living in the county, but specifically for you and Dr. Kellen Arman trying to manage the response to it. We're nine months, 10 months into this thing now at this point. And if you were a teacher at Anne Arundel County Public Schools, what grade letter, letter grade would you give the county on their response to handling this? If I were a teacher? Yeah. So you're talking about county government or the school system? <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I want to know if you, if you were if you were a teacher and looking at at how Anne Arundel County. Uh, okay, okay, okay. Not as a teacher, but okay, just in general. Just in general. Yeah. What, what what's your yeah. what's your grade? I mean, I you know I, I don't want to seem. I think we've done well. I mean, I would I would give the county an A, and the reason I would give the county an A is that. We, we were the only ones I know of that figured out how to do universal contact tracing from day one by deploying school nurses. Uh, nobody else in the state did it, and not many in the country did it. Um, and it wasn't just contact tracing. It was contact tracing and case management. So these contact tracers would help people on the phone and then eventually provide services to people who needed them so that they could isolate and quarantine. Um, that was that was big. We were the first to do eviction prevention and our eviction prevention program, everybody else in the state is looking at. And it's really complicated. It takes a lot of counseling. It's it's labor intensive, and and we've done done that very well. Our food distribution systems have been um, really amazing, thanks in part to volunteers, but also also government. And and um, go go ahead and plug that four ten two 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 food. You got it. Um, <laughs> and in fact, that number. Uh, is not only for food. It's it's actually they can they can send you anywhere for any need. Really, it's a it's a central central clearinghouse for all you know health and human service needs, um, including to the mental health warm line, eviction prevention, um, and and uh, and you know water bill assistance and all the different programs. Right. What what do you say to the local small businesses? They've got the shallow pockets. They're in good times, they're basically operating paycheck to paycheck or receivable to receivable. Uh, they've been forced to close. They've been forced to open, shrink. They've got costs to make things safe. And obviously, they've got some grants that were available to them. At the same time, though, you see some deep-pocketed Walmarts, uh, Home Depots, the casinos certainly are having banner years. And they're remaining open. They don't appear to be as nearly restricted as the small businesses. Now, don't you believe that the general economy runs on a main street, whether, you know, it's Maryland. Yeah. Avenue yeah. Or- I mean, so I hadn't even gotten into the restrictions part of, of how we've done and, and, and that I'm not sure we should get an A. I'm not sure anybody should. I think, I think that uh, clearly in the beginning um, decisions had to be made fast. And, you know, I credit the governor with making really, really tough decisions uh, early in the pandemic. And, and but but one was and he wasn't alone in doing this, uh, the essential versus non-essential and for, for the, the big box stores to be essential, but stores selling the same products on Main Street being closed. I mean, that was unfair. There's no question about that being unfair. But what happened was that and a lot of things have been unfair throughout this pandemic. 
But what happened was that businesses eventually learned how to operate safely. And I think most retail is safe as long as it's not packed. So, you know, there is some danger. I think there were situations, you know, right before Thanksgiving when grocery stores were, you know, probably had too many people in them, which is why the capacity numbers um, have been reduced so that we don't have them packed in. But they can sell as much stuff, I think, um, you know, even with this 25 percent capacity right now, because you don't normally see a store packed with people. Um, so and it shouldn't it doesn't you know, people can line up outside. Um, so that was unfair The the restaurant stuff. I mean, the, so there was the, the the everything was closed and then gradually reopened. We opened a little slower than the state. At some points we were pretty much in line and then at others we were a little slower. Um, the restaurant thing has been has been the challenge because that's different from all the other businesses. And that's the only place where the public can go and take off their mask and sit down for an extended period of time among people that they don't know in the same room. And that's what all the public health people say is source of spread. And so there's lots of data that, that suggests that that spread is happening in bars and restaurants. And so the question is, you know, at a point like we are now where the numbers are going back up again uh, quite fast and last few days have been a little bit leveled off, but still, um, you know, hospitalization projections are are pretty ominous. And so so now, like I'm in this position where um there's no good options. And I think the hardest thing, the most difficult thing that I've done in the two years was to sign that damn, that damn order. <laughs> uh, the one that, that, you know, said back to takeout on restaurants. And of course it's been challenged by the judge. And I've got to tell you, there's a part of me that <laughs> I shouldn't, I shouldn't, but I feel a little bit of relief that, that, okay, he's taken it out of my hands. Cause I don't know if these projections are right. I can't, I, but, but what if they are? And and um, um, but I know that I'm hurting the pe- the very people that I ran to help, which is low wage workers, the little guy, you know, that's that gets screwed all the time on everything and, and can't afford to miss a paycheck. You know, they're working in bars and restaurants and they've been the ones in this pandemic who from the beginning have been screwed. And and so here I am making it even harder for them. And and that is really, really hard. Um, but when you when you weigh it against the prospect that somebody can't get into a hospital who needs to because the hospital's full, it's it's uh, it's two bad choices. Well, what about the? And now I've not been up to the casino, but I mean I know that they've got plastic dividers in between the players, and they've got everybody's wearing masks, and and you have eliminated food service, or that order did eliminate food service interior inside. Yep, but. How how do they how do they gamble when they're handling chips back and forth and 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 whatnot? I mean, and you said and and I realize that the casinos contribute an awful lot to the county coffers, but uh, you know that's one thing that I hear from small businesses all the time. It's like you know, hey, you know, I why do why yeah. do they get to operate? Yeah, well, I mean, they got they got pushed um, down to twenty five percent, so a lot of things are at twenty five percent, and right now, including including restaurants, so. Um, in the casino, people are wearing masks. Um, in addition to the wearing masks, they they're seated um, separate from each other with plexiglass between. Uh, you know, I actually can't ask, answer the question on the the, the chips and cards. Um, I I um, um, I've been told that they have some pretty pretty impressive protocols in place. So I would assume that they're not passing those things between people and sharing their germs that way. Um, the but I do have to say that that when when we were considering these changes, 
um, I was in touch with with other county executives, and in particular the ones where the the um, horseshoe and and um, um, National and, Harbor, uh, the one in Pre- National Harbor in Prince George's. Um, and so we talked to each other because there was a question: Do they did they get closed down? Do they stay at fifty, or do they go to twenty five? And we agreed to twenty five. We didn't want to create a competitive advantage or disadvantage for any of the casinos. We wanted to cooperate among the three. Well, that uh, kind of, that, you, know, you know what yeah. blows my mind, though, is that I just saw the numbers for October for uh, Maryland Live Casino. And compared to October of 2019, they're up 4%. Incredible, isn't it? And I'm, I'm like, okay, so your capacity <laughs> yeah. is down 20, you're down at that point 50%. And your restaurants and bars aren't yeah. really fully open. Your shopping is not open, yet you're 4% above. I, I was like... How's that, yeah. how's that possible? Maybe we've got a gambling problem here in the county. I don't. Well, maybe maybe COVID has caused people to to to, to gamble. Uh, uh. I don't know, but it but it is interesting. You can reduce capacity and still still have people coming through and make money, and that's true in the stores as well. And and so, um, but the capacity reductions are useful because fewer people are in there at once, and you don't have the crowd all at once breathing all over each other. You know, obviously, the flavor of the year seems to be COVID nineteen. But uh, 2019, we were very focused on the opioid crisis. And actually, that seems to be getting, I don't want to say out of control, but it's certainly getting to be a larger problem in 2020 than it was in 2019. Um, What are we looking to do between you and the health department to regain some control here on that? Because, I mean, you know, you're hearing about the overdoses are up, the deaths are up, and it's not unique to Anne Arundel County by any means. It's, you know, something that we're seeing nationally as well as statewide. But are, you know, have we lost sight of that because of COVID or how are we going to regain our, our footing there? Yeah, no, we have not. Uh, the people who work on that are still working on that. And, and um, you know, 19 was better than 18 and 20 is, is somewhere in between. But uh, so it is worse. And, and we're not surprised that it's worse given the, the stresses that people are under and how, you know, sometimes people will return to addiction and addictive behavior under stress. And so um, the, uh, the opioid intervention team that that existed earlier in the, in the opioid crisis. Um, we've reconvened that and actually staffed it for the first time. So we have one staff person in the health department doing the opioid intervention team and the gun violence intervention team. They're both interagency um, cooperative efforts between police and, and other agencies. Uh, the, uh, the funding um, kind of slowed down there, but, but it looks like we've got additional funding that will be forthcoming. Um, there was $50 million that the state of Maryland got from the feds that they kind of sat there. <laughs> And right. now it's moving. It's it's moving again. Um, so that'll help. And and I've been trying to get a better handle on on, um, you know, as you know, there have been a lot of organizations that have sort of stepped up to to get the funding that's been available for for the opioids and provide services. Some of them are great. Some of them aren't so great. And trying to get a better sense of what we need more of and what we have enough of. Um, so we have the potential to expand treatment services, some kinds of treatment services. One of the great things we've done is is really expanded access to the medication-assisted treatment, the buprenorphine, and um, made it easier for, for people to to get that. They have to get counseling as well, but, but in the past, um, it was really difficult to get a doctor to prescribe your buprenorphine, and the health department has done a good job of, of facilitating that. Um, you know, the mobile, the mobile unit we got 
um, that can drive around and go to underserved areas uh, was was only operating for two days. We're going to be able to get that going once COVID is over and we can use it again right. um, for for at least four days, if not five. So so we haven't taken our eye off of it, um, but COVID has has made it more difficult, certainly in our treatment centers, uh, to serve people and because they're congregate sites. So um, hopefully, you know, the economy will get better. The stress levels will go down after COVID and that will help. But we'll also be there with the services and and, uh, continue to use everything we've learned and improve on it. Well, that's good. Good to know and encouraging there. Um, You talked about the economy getting better and everything else. Right now, the county and the city of Annapolis are in a real tough budget spot right now, and uh, nobody needs to tell any, any anybody that. And and there's some talk right now about merging some services between the county and the city because there is some overlap. There is actually there's a lot of overlap there. And in the past, I know that uh, County Executive Shu worked with Mayor Panalides to combine the um, elections. So the county was running the city elections and everything else, and that's still happening. Uh, Economic Development Corp did, you know, had some sort of a merger and overlap there that they worked together as well, and they still continue to do that. Um, do you see or have you had any discussions or do you have any thoughts about the city and the county coming together to merge some different departments, whether it may it may be just, you know, refuse, it may be water, police, fire, public works, roads? Yeah, there have been no serious discussions. I mean, there <laughs> John Hammond wrote a wrote a letter to the Capitol, and <laughs> when John Hammond writes a, a right. column in the Capitol, people read it. Um, you know, raising this issue, it's, it gets raised every few years, I guess. And and uh, you know, John Penley's letter recently, his column um, was, you know, it was interesting. All of the things that he talked about are ongoing. And in fact, you know, as I don't think anybody's surprised, Gavin and I get along great. Um, and and uh, and with Chris Trumbauer on my staff. Um, okay. I think my ear pods, I'm going to switch over here. My ear pods are, uh, <laughs> warned me that their battery is to run out. I think I lost them. Did I hang up on you? Yeah, that's okay. Okay, I was just yakking away there, and I didn't know. Okay, <laughs> you were, we're talking you were, about city county co- coordination, right? Right, and and you said your team. You said Chris Trumbauer. Yeah, Chris Chris Trumbauer, of course, having been the representative from District Six, knows um, on the county council um, is is tied in with the with uh, folks in Annapolis and 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 the mayor, and we have regular meetings, um, not only between my staff and and the mayors, but also. Um, we, we, um, Senator Elfrith and Delegate Henson and Delegate Jones, um, and Councilwoman Ravian, we all get together and, uh, and go over issues. So, I mean, we're working on the, you know, the, the bike trails and, and, um, we're also, you know, in transit and, and, um, and land use as well. I mean, our, our planning people have been engaged on forced drive stuff. And, um, so it's really good communication and, we we tend to cooperate on CARES Act money. You know, we we went ahead and, and did a calculation to give a certain percentage of our CARES Act money from the feds to the city of Annapolis. And then the health department, of course, is one health department. So right. um, we've integrated a lot of the work on COVID um, really closely with with Annapolis. So but not not no real conversations about 
emerging police or public works, um, any of those um, since I've been in. Do you, do you have yeah. any thoughts or uh, on the fiasco that uh, we'll call Visit Annapolis and everything else that's going on there? I mean, obviously they've been decimated because of the lack of funding from nobody's staying in the hotels. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, and then other right. You know, somebody's going to have to write a soap opera or about that or a book. But it's coming out on uh, Netflix in twenty twenty two. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I mean, I think it's important work that they do, and and it's sort of interesting that during COVID was when all this happened. So it's probably in some ways a good time for them, uh, you know, not to be not to be running on all cylinders um, and they need to get it, get it back together. So we're working with them on that. Right. Um, and yeah. What's on the menu for the second half of your term? Do you have a, uh, have that laid out yet? I mean, uh, well, of course we have a long, a long list. Um, you know, looking back over the list we started with though, it, it's been, um, I felt pretty good about how many things have gotten checked off um, or things where we're, where we're very much in progress. I mean, on land use, there's going to be a lot of work to do. The GDP will pass the general development plan in the next couple of months through the council, but that that's just sort of the beginning of a lot of the work that we have to do. We're going to have to, you know, we're looking at impact fees and we're looking at adequate public facility, both on schools and roads, um, uh, law, and and trying to trying to put all the pieces together so that we can do what we said we wanted to do, which is promote and encourage redevelopment and smart growth in areas where the right infrastructure exists um, and protect open spaces and, and, um, and, and, uh, and improve the traffic situation rather than make it worse. Route two and route three, uh, the big corridors where, where we have the worst intersections are, um, we finally got, got SHA um, with our dangling of the carrot, the carrot of course being money right. from our permanent public improvements fund. Um, we've got them on board for a plan. Uh, we're going to be signing an MOU any any day. Maybe it's signed by now. Um, and it's supposed to be certainly before the end of the year. That will um, lay out a, a timeline and a plan and and um, and some investment on their end finally to to address those after years and years of of kind of pretending the problem didn't exist. So there's a lot of work on land use that's going to be controversial and it's going to be difficult. But uh, I think the developers even who, um, um, you know, I wasn't their chosen candidate. You might you might have heard. No, really? Um, (laughs) (laughs) They they I don't think they'll mind the direction we're going once it's there. It's sort of they need the, the consistent application of the rules and the certainty to be able to make a business plan and knowing how applications are going to be reviewed and what you know, what kind of development is supported and what isn't. And that they have community support for the good stuff is actually good for their business. So, at the end of the day, maybe by the end of my first term, um, they they might uh, they might think actually things are better than they were. Um, so there's something to be said about consistency. I know uh, you know just to I'll, I'll throw Gavin not Gavin specifically but Annapolis under the bus when Morton's was being built. I spoke with a general contractor. He says, "Oh my gosh, I've never met a more dysfunctional entity." in the city. And he says, yeah, I come in and they say, okay, I'm ready to sign off. Oh, I can't do that. Cause that thing's not painted blue. So you paint it blue. He comes back tomorrow and says, why is that painted blue? It needs to be red. He said, he said in Chicago and he, he mentioned Chicago, which is your old stomping grounds. He said, we went in there, we built one. He said, we built 60 worldwide. And he said, you went in and at the end of the day, you knew that you had to leave a brown paper bag filled with cash, nothing lower than a 20. 
and you would get signed off on. It was just you you knew that this was the rules that you had to play with. Yeah. And and that's what it was. And and he said that, you know, if they were to turn around and say you need to do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, and you know, and, and do it twice, it's not a problem. As long as we know what it is. But it gets to be a problem when you turn around and it's like, oh, I'm gonna change the rules mid mid thing. And I I, I agree yeah. with that. And I think that, you know, you you're probably spot on where you're with your thought process yeah. there. Yeah. And right now is when we're changing the rules. So they're, they're frustrated, but the old rule was sort of, you know, you could get a modification to get around the County code because nobody had changed County code to modernize it, to make it work. So and the modification process became very controversial toward, you know, the end of the shoe administration. And, and then they said, well, we're going to cut the amount of modifications we do in half. And the developers were saying, well, which half, damn it, you know, tell, tell us what's going to be allowed. And, and so we're still working through that. Well, you were elected back in 2018, if my math is right, and I didn't have them count on my fingers, so I think that's right. And you got a big mm -hmm. boost from the guy that currently occupies 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue um, on that. Now, Anne Arundel County is, I, I would really think, a pretty solidly purple county. And, uh, but it's, so I don't think that there is automatically like the city of Annapolis. I mean, Mike Panalides, when he was elected, that was sort of an anomaly. And I don't think that you were an anomaly, and nor do I think county executive shoe winning would have been an anomaly either um there's a good amount of independent voters there's about 25 percent of the voters are independent and you're probably going to need to wrangle them to win a second term on this depending on who, yeah. who runs against you I and mean, how, how are you going to capture them well, I might even need some Republicans. I mean, I still still see a few of those Republicans for Pittman bumper stickers. Um, I don't I don't know if they're still Republicans, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe some of them are independents now. But no, I, I you know it's it's um, I, I I hate party party boundaries and boxes. And, you know, people always try to put you in a box if they're if they're political people and, you know, you're here and you're you're a leftist or you're a progressive or you're a moderate or you're a whatever the box is that they draw. And and, you know, the issues just don't fit into the box necessarily. And I, you know, people will say that I'm very progressive, maybe because of you know, some of the things I've done. Um, you know, philosophically, I'm actually very pro-business and, you know, the regulations that don't have any public benefit, just need to go. And, and so, um, you know, going into government and knocking a few heads, one of the things about Matt Power, our CAO now, is he's not afraid to do that. He's very good at, at sort of seeing where things are, where there's red tape and it, it needs to change and regulations that make no sense. And so, um, and it makes things work better. And then, and then, you know, the market is, is a wonderful tool, but so is government. So it, it's, I don't know. I think in Anne Arundel County, environment and um you know land use issues are not partisan the the forest conservation um bill the polling um had 80 percent support for the original strong bill from both democrats republicans in fact republicans had slightly higher than democrats for it and so um that's that's probably the the sweet spot the place where where uh the middle can be can be attracted uh, politically and um and I feel like we're, we're delivering in those areas pretty well. So um, I, I think we'll, we'll do well with independence. I hope. Well, you'll also be probably getting a, getting that campaign underway probably sometime toward the end of next year, I would imagine uh, getting that into place and everything else. What about um, if you lose, what's it look like for you? If uh, you end up only serving one term, what, what are your plans? Do, would you still stay involved? Would you, uh, yeah, right, you right know, off into the sunset. 
Well, you know, I was actually making a living training horses for, for, you know, decades there and, and uh, a couple of decades. And, and I don't see myself going back to that. Um, it's really, really hard work running a horse business. And, 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 uh, you know, I, I took out loans, I built a barn and sort of set this thing up. And now I find myself really not likely to go back to that. Um, we've rented the facility to somebody else who runs an operation. Um, so shoveling horse manure is not in my future, I hope. Uh, Come on. That's and, what you did at the first military bowl for <laughs> crying out loud. That's true. That was a highlight. It was. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but, um, you know, I will definitely absolutely work from the outside if I'm not on the inside. And, you know, I created this C4 just recently called future matters. And to be honest, it was in the back of my mind that, that, uh, this could be something that I could grow um, and and it could become um, my new job if I'm not in office and to do advocacy work and organizing good old community organizing that I used to do um, and and, uh, you know, bring people together for for um, policy discussions. And and uh, I I uh, I do care a lot about these issues. And so that's probably uh, that's probably in my future. Uh, personally, how's your family? And you've got twin boys and a wife and uh, whatnot dealt with you being county executive. I would say normally in post not COVID times, you'd be on the go a lot. Um, and it's quite a shift from being a, a, a horse farmer. Uh, yeah. You know, I got farmer, be, but you know, everybody, everybody says, Oh, you work so hard and, and, you know, f- f- worry about me. Not everybody. Some people want me to, you know. Yeah, I, re- I, re- I read Facebook too, okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, no, but, but um, one of the things about, about, you know, the fact that county offices, I mean, we're encouraging people to work from home if they can in county offices. And so most of our staff has been working from home. Um, you know, we've been going in some. I do go in some. Um, and I do go to some events, uh, but there aren't big, big group events. So there are far fewer personal events especially now it's even declined so everything's on zoom and um i'm up here in the guest room of my house as far away as i can get from the kids and um, set up a card table with a computer on it and just accomplish um way more meetings than than in the past um i don't have to go around and shake hands and make small talk to people at cocktail parties, you know, that you have to do when you're county executive. Not that I don't love that, but I'd really much rather be um, actually doing the work. And so, um, and engaging with people through, you know, Zoom town halls, you can you sort of see how much of that sort of thing we're doing uh, is, is, um, is a great way to govern and, and uh, to stay connected. And at the same time, I can, if I have five minutes, I go downstairs, I grab a cup of coffee, my wife is there. My kids are there. It's like I'm closer to home and uh, no, no time on the road. So it's it's um, I, I'm really not complaining about it. It's it's um, um, it's really an efficient way to work. Good. Public figures take a beating online. And uh, that's the downside, certainly, of social media and that uh, everybody has a voice. And uh, as a public figure, you really can't silence them. You can. I, I mean, Governor Hogan tried that, I think early on in his uh, first term and yeah. Yeah, uh, I was like, can. yeah, no, you just got to let him go. Um, <laughs> I mean, I yeah. think, I think direct threats and, and cursing you can ixnay, yeah. but uh, beyond that, uh, you know, yeah. I, I can call you whatever I want to call you and you just got to s- sit there and take it. You're a grown adult. You can take it. Uh, your wife is a grown adult. She can take it. I mean, is this, is your wife and kids and family 
dealing okay with the criticism on this? That Are they even exposed? Do they know about it? So my boys are 11 and they're pretty oblivious. They, they hear some things, but they, you know, and they, they, you know, we talk politics around the house. So, but I, I don't think it bothers. I, they're not being affected in a negative way. My wife, however, is sensitive and is a very kind person and doesn't, uh, doesn't like being yelled at. <laughs> Imagine right. that. Um, so, so, um, you know, people have, some people have gotten her, contact information and it's it's been disturbing uh, when she gets um, angry angry messages um, so she's she's avoiding Facebook and uh, trying not to read comments um, and um, um, so she didn't like it she doesn't she's not happy about um, the uh, just just the conflict of covid the the division the divisiveness and you know covid plus plus the a national election that was very divisive and and uh she doesn't she's like a lot of people she she cares a lot about the issues and she yes she follows politics but she doesn't like politics if that makes sense yeah you know no it does i mean i was talking to a friend this morning and i said that i've I've lost a friendship that i really valued an awful lot over politics and we never were eye to eye on politics and you know i and nothing out of the bag here. I mean, I'm, I'm registered as a Republican, but I'll vote whichever way I think the the best way to vote is. And uh, he was also a Republican, and he but he went way, way, way to the right. And I mean, he was the you know the conspiracy thing and the, and and everything else. Mm-hmm. And just because I didn't agree with him, uh, we've we've ruined a, a a beautiful friendship. And I'm like thinking, this is like me saying, hey, you know, I like women with blonde hair. And somebody else saying, hey, well, you know, I like women with brown hair and losing your friendship over something stupid like that. Yeah. Um, you know, we can turn around and say, hey, let's just not talk politics. But, you know, hey, how about the Orioles? That's, you yeah. know, I mean, yeah, it's it, it's it's frustrating. And it's very sad. So I, I empathize certainly um, with your wife and anybody that's listening. If uh, if you're one of the jackasses that are doing this stop it. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it, it is, it is painful when, when that happens. And I've had some of that as well. And, and, uh, you, you, I don't want to say you deserve it, but I mean, that's part of what you signed up for too. I mean, yeah. you, you've, yeah. you, you've got the criticism I mean, you are the figurehead for the County. Um, you've got, the, Oh, I can take it from strangers. That's fine. It, it's, it's people who were my friends who are not, who, who have sort of turned on me that, um, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's just too bad. I, I, you know, it is not, I, a, not, a, there are not a lot of those people, but there are some, and, and, uh, it's, it's, um, it's really unfortunate because it sort of symbolizes something bigger that is, that is hurtful, um, across society. And, well, it's, it's prevalent, it's prevalent what we're seeing across the country and probably across the world. I mean, I would think, and, and I'll, I'll blame some, a lot of this on social media. And I mean, you've got the ability to be, yeah. this keyboard warrior and I can sit there and, you know, call you whatever name I want from over here and nothing, yeah. but you know, there's no way in hell I would do it to your face. Um, yeah, it's you know, maybe, yeah. at least without yeah. a few beers. I mean, you know, you're right, right. To figure that out, but uh, all right. Well, I'll tell you, I want to let you go and I appreciate all the time that you have offered this afternoon. One final question is that you are the consummate horseman for all of your life. And you say you're going to get out of that after you get out of politics, but uh, have you had a chance to ride lately? When was the last no. time you were on a horse? I have not sat on a horse's back since uh, since uh, before I started the campaign. Really? 
<laughs> yeah, I used to ride uh, approximately eight to 10 horses a day uh, because that was my job was to train them and get through them. And, and you know, um, that's what I got paid to do. And uh, no, and, and I've got to say, while at some point in my life, I'm sure it will be enjoyable to, you know, to, to go out and have, you know, enjoy time out in the countryside on a horse out in the woods. Um, I don't really miss it. <laughs> my I, horse friends can't understand that. And I say, why would you, why would you even want to own a horse? They're so expensive. They're so, so much, you can never leave and go on vacation. They're constantly getting hurt. It's a burden to own a horse. You're constantly taking care of the damn thing. And, uh, um, oh, oh, it is. My, my sister raises racehorses down in um, Kentucky in Lexington. And, yeah. uh, I'm like, Lisa, they call it the sport of Kings for a reason. And if you never notice, nobody calls you your highness. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's, yeah. it's, 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 a, it's a tough living. That's for sure. Yeah. That, 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 that is for sure. I do want to be great and, animals though, but I still love them. Well, you, well, you, them you talk about getting out and, and, you know, clearing your head and everything else. And, and it is wonderful. I will say that one of the best things that you did during this whole COVID thing, at least for me, is the um, opening of the parks. Uh-huh. Uh, to be able to go out there and initially and to be able to get there. And I, I walk in quiet waters pretty much every day. I try to get down there and it's, really? that's, that's my morning sort of a uh, constitution that I go down there and that, you know, clears the head for the day and you get in and you start the day and yeah. um, it, it really worked. And that was a, a, a real good move on, on the COVID part to be able to get everybody out there. And, you know, I'll, I'll throw a shout out to parks and recs too, or recs and parks. I know they, I get them confused whether they're, Either way, but they're uh, another great program that is here in Anne Arundel County that if folks that that, uh, that idea, like many, that idea actually came off of social media in the chat on Facebook during my first COVID town hall. So and uh, by the end of that town hall, uh, the team at Reckon Parks had had figured out how to do it. It was amazing. Which is so, which not is, not all social media is bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, and, and Reckon Parks is great. I mean, they've. Um, you know, Rick Anthony has done a great job between the, uh, it didn't happen this year, but the, the beer and wine festival that they have at the end of, uh, yeah. twist, twist, twist and, and stout. Yeah. Uh, in, you know, you've got that, you've got the lifeline 100 and quiet waters is just celebrating their 30th anniversary. I just looked at the poster. I cheated. So, yeah, but it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> which is a great fantastic. poster too. Yes. Yes. County executive Lighthizer um, told me that that was his, um, um, that and some other some other open space that he acquired greatest accomplishments um, community was opposed but um, now they uh, everybody who lives near quiet waters I assume is glad they do <laughs> I will let you go it is about 5 30 you're probably gonna have uh, your wife knocking on the door saying hey there's dinner uh, or you probably have another zoom call to get on I don't know I don't have uh, a zoom call till seven so I I, I have it so you've got 90 minutes to a, eat your a dinner beer and... before a beer before I zoom again yeah it's, you you tell, tell, please tell me you don't drink in Zoom. Um, um, off camera. <laughs> <laughs> County Executive Pittman, thank you very much for your time tonight. Uh, you know, good luck with COVID. I mean, that's that's all all we can say. I mean, there are no answers. There's no manual that they left there for you to figure this out. And and I think the bulk of the people understand that you're making very difficult decisions. All of them are not going to be right. All of them are not going to be wrong. And, uh, you know, to use a cliche, we are all in this together. Uh, there's yeah. a light light at the end of the tunnel, and we're, we're going to come out of this. And I hopefully we'll be come out yeah. a little bit stronger, and I really hope a lot more polite. Well said. I agree. All righty. Take care. You have a great night. Thank you very much. All right. See you, John. Thanks. Bye-bye. This has been a bonus podcast from Ion Annapolis. 
please visit us at ionanapolis.net. Follow us on Facebook at All Annapolis and on Twitter at Ionanapolis. And if you haven't subscribed to the Daily News Brief podcast, go for it. And all of your local news will be delivered to your phone, tablet, or smart device by 6 a.m. every Monday through Friday.